Matthew chapter 14. I'll be reading the first couple of verses there, verses 3 through 5, but we'll also uh, be looking elsewhere in that chapter, so I encourage you to keep your Bibles open. Matthew 14, verses 3 to 5, a message I've entitled, The Controlling of Herod. The Controlling of Herod. Please stand out of honor to God in His Word as I read. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias's sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. Thank you. You may be seated. So we're looking at the controlling of Herod today, the controlling of Herod. Now, speaking of controlling, there were three men sitting around talking one day of how much control they had over their wives. And so the one man said, you know, when I tell my wife to go, she says, how far? And the other one said, yeah, when I tell my wife to jump, she says, how high? Well, the third guy said this. He said, you know, I had my wife crawling on her hands and knees to me the other day. Well, these guys were really impressed that his wife was crawling on her hands and knees to him. And they said, what happened? He said, well, there she was on her hands and knees calling to me and saying, come out from under that bed and fight me like a man. <laughs> Let's look today at the controlling of Herod. First of all, by way of introduction, the Herod we're talking about today is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great. This was the Herod that was reigning in the time of Jesus' birth. Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. And Herod Antipas was given control of Galilee in Herod's will. Now, Herod Antipas, you've heard of him before because he met with Jesus prior to the crucifixion. You might remember that Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, well, I don't know what to do with him, so he sends him to Herod. Well, this is the Herod to whom he sends Jesus. And then Herod says, well, I'm not going to do anything with him, and he sends him back. That's in Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. Now here's what gets confusing for you and I as we read the Bible. There are actually six Herods mentioned in the New Testament. They're all related. So again, it can be confusing because sometimes they're just called Herod. Now sometimes they're given their, their surname like Antipas or whatever like we're talking about today. But sometimes it just says Herod, so it can be very confusing. So let me tell you about the six Herods who are in the New Testament. First of all, there's Herod the Great. Herod the Great. He was visited by the wise men at Christmas time. He killed all the babies, the boy babies in Bethlehem, hoping to kill Jesus. So that's Herod the Great. And then there's Herod Archelaus. Herod Archelaus is also part of the Christmas story because Joseph, when he came out of Egypt with Mary and Jesus, he planned to go to Bethlehem, but instead, because he heard about Herod Archelaus, he went instead to Nazareth. And then there's Herod Antipas that we talked about today, and we're talking about today. He killed John the Baptist. And then there's Herod Philip. Now, Herod Philip is mentioned, uh, he's mentioned along with other rulers in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Nothing else, just he's mentioned in a list of rulers. And then there's Herod Agrippa I. Now, this one's the best for me because in Acts chapter 12, there are some other things I could tell you about Herod Agrippa I, but here's what I like. Acts 12 says, he was eaten by worms. Now, that's my favorite part. He was eaten by worms. And then there's Herod Agrippa II. He presided over the trial of the Apostle Paul in Caesarea. That's in Acts chapter 25 or 26. So you see now, there's all these Herods, all these six Herods, and sometimes they're just called Herod, and so it can get very confusing. But now you've been introduced to all of them. But today we're looking at Herod Antipas. And here's what we want to know about him. First of all, Herod was controlled by his passions. He was controlled by his passions. We see there in verse 4 uh, that he married somebody he shouldn't have. 
Both he and the woman he married, Herodias, they were both married and divorced. And when he remarried, he married his brother Philip's wife, breaking the Mosaic law. Now what we learn about Herod here is that he was not concerned about God's will for marriage. He was also not concerned about God's word in marriage. In fact, here's God's word. Leviticus 18.16 says, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. So clearly, he had no concern about God's will for marriage. He had no concern about God's word. And he had no concern about other people. He didn't care about his brother Philip. He didn't care about his other wife. You say, well, so what? He wasn't a believer. We have plenty of evidence to see that Herod was not a believer. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because God's law applied to believer and unbeliever alike. It doesn't matter. You can say, you know what? There's the Bible. Uh, I don't read the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. I don't care about the Bible. Guess what? It still applies to you. You don't have to be a believer. Believer and unbeliever, it applies. What does this have to do with us, that Herod was controlled by his passions? Well, many pursue their passions without regard for God or man. Let's start with lust, since that's what we're dealing with here, lust. Sexuality is reserved for marriage. The marriage bed is undefiled. The scriptures are clear on that. Look here at Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, while the marriage bed is undefiled, the unmarried bed is defiled in every way. You say, yeah, but Herod and Herodias, they were married. Well, marriage is for life. And maybe Herod had multiple wives. Well, in the Bible, I've got to be honest with you, we see polygamy all through the Bible. But know this, this is a rule from the Bible. Polygamy is never shown in a positive light. Polygamy was never God's will. Yes, God's people engaged in polygamy, but it never worked out well. Herod and Herodias may have been married, but marriage is for life. And polygamy is never shown in a positive light. Know this, that marriage is an holy institution. It offers holy responsibilities such as faithfulness and love, and it provides holy privileges. And God blesses intimacy in marriage. He blesses intimacy in marriage. But know this, God does not bless homosexual intimacy. God does not bless unmarried intimacy. God does not bless extramarital intimacy. Many pursue their passions without regard for God or man, whether it's lust or money. Some people just pursue money and they don't care about God or man. Well, the Bible says, well, if you've got money, remember where you got it. We're reminded in Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, But you shall remember the Lord your God. It is He that gives you power to get wealth. And so if you do have two pennies to rub together, guess what? God has provided that. Not only that, but maybe you're not wealthy. But the Bible says we are to be content with what we have. Look at here, Hebrews 13.5. Let your behavior be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so even if you don't have two pennies to rub together, guess what? You have the Lord Jesus Christ who has promised he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Many pursue their passions without regard for God or man, whether it's lust or money or status. And Herod was guilty of all of these things. Herod was controlled by his passions. But secondly, I want you to see that Herod was controlled by his people. He was controlled by his people. If you look in verse 5, Herodias, Herod's wife, wanted John the Baptist killed. And why did she want him killed? Well, she didn't like his criticism of her marriage. That's in verse 4. As it turns out, Herodias didn't really have a problem with John the Baptist. 
She had a problem with God. This was God's law, okay? This was God's law. It wasn't John. It's not something John the Baptist just made up. He was just preaching what God said. Well, the people considered John the Baptist to be a prophet, according to verse 5. In fact, did you know this about John the Baptist? He was actually the last Old Testament prophet. You say, well, Brother Gary, John the Baptist shows up in my New Testament. Yes, he does. But he's the last Old Testament prophet. And Jesus thought he was amazing. In fact, look what Jesus said about him in Matthew 11, 11. Jesus speaking says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And according to Mark 6 and verse 20, Herod Antipas liked to hear John the Baptist. Now, I'm sure he didn't like to hear what John the Baptist had to say about his marriage, but he loved to go listen to John the Baptist preach. He enjoyed that. So what did Herod do? He imprisoned John the Baptist. He imprisoned John the Baptist because he was controlled by his people. His wife wanted John the Baptist dead, but the people said, well, he's a prophet. And so Herod ended up imprisoning John the Baptist. And in doing so, he showed weakness of character. He tried to please everybody and ended up pleasing nobody. You know what? When it comes to people pressure, peer pressure, peer pressure, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. Peer pressure should not control us. God, through His Holy Spirit, must control us. And He does so by means of convictions based on biblical principles. So as you and I read the Bible, we become familiar with the Bible. God, through His Holy Spirit, can conduct, can control us based on these convictions from biblical principles. You say, well, how do I know if I'm speaking and being controlled by the Holy Spirit? How do I know if I'm behaving and being controlled by the Holy Spirit? You look for the fruit of the Spirit in your words. You look for the fruit of the Spirit in your actions. Galatians 5, and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, generous, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. And so look at what you're doing. Listen to what you're saying. Is it showing the fruit of the Spirit? Is it showing love and peace and joy and so on? If it is, then you are showing you're being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. If it isn't, you're showing you're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Herod was controlled by his people. We're not to be controlled by people. We're to be controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ. So Herod was controlled by his passions. He was controlled by his people. Thirdly, he was controlled by his pleasures. His pleasures. In verses 6 through 11, I did not read, but he was controlled by his pleasures. Now it turns out a a girl by the name of Salome, which was Herodias' daughter, she danced for Herod. Verse 6. And Herod became careless in his pursuit of pleasure, so much so that he made a foolish offer to Salome. He was so impressed with her dancing, he said, you can have up to half my kingdom. Now this is in Mark chapter 6 and verse 23. Mark retells the same story. He says, you can have up to half my kingdom. Well, you would think she would want that. But instead she goes and talks to her mom, Herodias. She says, mom, what should I ask for? Well, Herodias already knew. She said, tell him you want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so she goes back to Herod. Herod says, what do you want? Up to half my kingdom, you can have it. She says, you know what I'd like to have? After careful consideration, I would like to see John the Baptist's head on a plate in front of me. And that's exactly what happened. Herod preferred to honor his offer rather rather than to do the right thing. He killed somebody he respected. He killed somebody he enjoyed. 
He killed somebody he feared. But rather than do the right thing, rather than say, well, Salome, you know, I really enjoyed your dance and I'm offering you half my kingdom, but I'm really not going to cut this guy's head off. He preferred to honor his offer rather than do right. He was controlled by his pleasures. And guess what Herod had to do? He had to live with his decision. Live with his decision that he killed somebody he respected. He killed somebody he enjoyed. He killed somebody he was afraid of. He had to live with that decision. And secondly, he had to pay for that decision. Know this about sin. Sin carries consequences. And God knew what would happen. God knew that Herod was going to kill John the Baptist. But he still held Herod accountable. And one of the consequences of Herod's sin of killing John the Baptist was psychosis. Psychosis. He was starting to go crazy. How do I know that? Look at verses 1 and 2 that I didn't read. Herod, when Jesus showed up on the scene, Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected. So every time he saw Jesus, every time he heard of Jesus, he said, uh-oh, that's John the Baptist. He's coming after me. It was psychosis. And that was one of the consequences of Herod's sin of having John the Baptist murdered. By the way, nobody else thought that Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected. Nobody else thought that. If you look down in verse 15, they thought Jesus was maybe Elijah or they thought he was another prophet. Only one person thought that he was John the Baptist resurrected and it was Herod. Why? That was one of the consequences from his sin of having John murdered. And just like Herod, my friends, we must live with our hasty and thoughtless decisions. If you are controlled by your pleasures and you do things and you make decisions in the moment, you have to live with your hasty and thoughtless decisions. And not only must you live with it, you must pay for your hasty and thoughtless decisions. Again, remember, sin carries consequences. And you say, well, it doesn't matter because I've been forgiven. My sins are forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Good for you. Remember this. God removes sin, not consequences. And God removed sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried for your sins, and rose again the third day, you receive Him and you believe Him, then your sins are forgiven. But guess what? There's still consequences to pay. If you leave church today and you go rob a bank, will the Lord Jesus forgive you? Yes. You go into jail? Yes. He removes sin, not consequences. <clears throat> know this about sin, my friends. Sin is never worth it. It might seem like it's worth it. It is never worth it. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Let me repeat that. It's not worth it. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Herod was controlled by his pleasures. But let me say this. God intends us to enjoy life. God put us here to enjoy life. He's okay if we pursue pleasure. But we must do so within God's boundaries. And we must do so recognizing God as the provider of pleasure. And we must also do so with thankfulness. And so whatever it is you like to do to, you know, to engage in pleasure, God's fine with that as long as it's within His boundaries, as long as you recognize Him as the provider of that pleasure, and as long as you do so with thankfulness. Suppose you like to ride a bike. No, I can't believe I said that. No, no, no. <laughs> Nobody ride a bike. Nobody ride a bike. But suppose you like to ride a horse or you like to 
you go, go mountain climbing or you like to take a drive on Sunday afternoon, something like that. And you enjoy that. God is fine with that. He's fine with that. Just make sure you engage in that pleasure within God's boundaries, reckoning, recognizing God as the provider of that pleasure, and do so with thankfulness, and all the while continuing to honor God. Continue to worship God. Even when you're out there on your bass boat, continue to worship God. Continue to fellowship with God's people. And continue your daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see Herod was controlled by his passions. Herod was controlled by his people. Herod was controlled by his pleasures. Fourthly, Herod was controlled by his politics. By his politics. You see, here's what happened. His nephew and Herodias' son, Agrippa I, that's the guy that got eventually eaten by worms, but not at this point. Agrippa I accused Herod Antipas of conspiracy against the Roman emperor Caligula. And so Caligula exiled Antipas and his wife Herodias. Herod played politics, and then he got played by politics. We don't know what became of Herod once he was exiled. But we do know that he had his royalty and his kingdom stripped from him, even as he stripped John the Baptist of his dignity and his head. Let me say that again. We don't know what happened to Herod. But we do know he had his royalty and his kingdom stripped from him, just as he stripped John the Baptist of his dignity and his head. Learn this, please. You and I are not to take vengeance. God will take care of that. The scriptures are clear here in Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God has the resources of the entire universe with which to take vengeance. You and I have frightfully little. And so forget about it. Don't take vengeance. Leave that up to God. And God promises He will take vengeance. He'll do so in this life and certainly in the life to come. So we see also that Herod was controlled by his politics. But lastly, I want you to see that Herod was controlled by his potentate. Now you might say, potentate? Where'd you come? You just wanted another P word that would go with your sermon. Yes, I did. But potentate is used in 1 Timothy 6.15, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. A potentate is a mighty ruler. Jesus is potentate. What do I want to say about this? How Herod was controlled by his potentate? The Lord is sovereign. He controls all things and he controls all people. Every historical figure, every historical event, guess who's in charge of all of that? God is. Every non-historical figure, every non-historical event. For instance, I am not an historical figure, okay? This church service is not an historical event. Guess who's in charge? God is. He is sovereign. And so Herod did what Herod did. He, you know, he married Herodias' wife and he killed John the Baptist. He did all kind of other stuff. You can study that on your own. Horrible things. And yet the potentate, the Lord, was in control of all of it. Nothing happens without God's knowledge and God's permission. And that's why somebody many years ago creatively called history his story. Because that's what history is. From the beginning up to our time until the end, it is his story. 
that he is writing. And while we don't always understand why God is doing what God is doing, know this, he's doing. He's in charge. He's in control. And nothing happens without his knowledge and his permission. And so in the ultimate sense, Herod, while he was controlled by his passions, he was controlled by his people, he was controlled by his pleasures, he was controlled by his politics, ultimately, he was controlled by his potentate. And his potentate is the same potentate we have. The mighty ruler over Herod is the same mighty ruler who is over us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wonder about you today. Maybe you're here and you're a believer. You've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. You believe he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. Please, don't be controlled by your passions. Don't be controlled by other people. Don't be controlled by your pleasures. Don't be controlled by politics. Be controlled by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And again, how do you know that the things you're doing and saying are coming from the Holy Spirit? Look for the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But if you're not a believer here today, I have a couple things to say to you. Number one, please receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Right where you're sitting, right now. Invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Say, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and he was buried for my sins. And the third day he rose again from the dead. And if you truly receive Christ and believe, you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven, you'll be granted eternal life, not later, now. Because that's how God does things. But I've got something else to say to you as an unbeliever. In just a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Some people call it Eucharist. It doesn't matter what you call it where we look at symbols of Jesus' body and symbols of Jesus' blood. And the Bible says we're to be very careful when we partake of the Lord's Supper. In fact, if an unbeliever partakes of the Lord's Supper, they may be in for more than they bargain. Because the scriptures say back in the day when the Lord's Supper was being established in 1 Corinthians, the scriptures say that because people were taking the Lord's Supper unworthily, in other words, as unbelievers, some of them were sick, and some of them had died. You say, you know what, that's just superstition from 2,000 years ago. That's God's word. Are you willing to put God to the test? I'm not. If you are a believer here, you are welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper. As our deacons come in a few moments and prepare to serve it, you're welcome. You don't have to be a member of this church. We don't care about that because God doesn't care about that. But if you're not a believer, now this is where God cares and this is where we care. Please do not partake. Just let the elements pass by. We will certainly respect you for respecting the Lord's Supper. Oh, and by the way, if you are an unbeliever, as soon as possible, become a believer. As soon as possible, receive Christ as your Savior. As soon as possible, receive eternal life. There's only one place to get it. From your potentate and mine, the Lord Jesus Christ.